Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right. Welcome to Finding God in the Music. Season 15, this is my, uh, this is my midsummer excursion into music and gospel that we've been doing for 15 years now. Today is track four, The Artist. <laughs> the Artist. The Artist is... Metallica. Oh, a ripple goes through the congregation. Metallica. Yes, that Metallica. One of the biggest rock bands in the world. I think their only peer contemporary would be U2, as far as just how big they are. Uh, U2 and Metallica, those those are the behemoths of rock music today, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Metallica, back when we were selling albums, they sold 125 million of them. They're on tour right now. They're doing a stadium tour because when Metallica shows up in town, they need the stadium. You know, the arena isn't going to be enough. The theater isn't going to be enough. They need a stadium. Uh, Tonight they're playing SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles for the second night. Sometimes they need the stadium two nights. So you get the idea, this is like a, this is not an unpopular band, Uh, Metallica. They formed in Los Angeles in 1981, released their first album in 1983, 40 years ago. And shortly after they released their first album, they moved to San Francisco and they've been based there ever since. So they're, they're all about 60 years of age. These are not kids anymore. They're all about 60 years of age. Uh, Metallica, just so you'll know where I'm coming from, Metallica is kind of, that's the limit for me. That's as heavy as I go, but I do go that heavy. It's the limit, but I do go there. Uh, Metallica, I I like them. Um, In April, they released their 11th studio album, 72 Seasons is the name of it. Uh, I think we got a couple of pictures of my copy of the vinyl. Yes, I bought the vinyl edition of Metallica 72 Season. So I can go down in my basement and make a lot of noise. (laughs) Uh, 72 seasons. That's a way of saying 18 years. It's it's a different way of saying 18 years. Well, that's 72 seasons. And this is James Hetfield. That's That's the front man, the primary lyricist for the band. That's James Hetfield looking back on that period of life. Those first 18 years that can be tumultuous or not, but for him it was. And they're very formative. You know, at those first 18 years, that forms us to a large extent. Sometimes we have to recover from it. Sometimes it puts us on a good trajectory, but it's always significant. Uh, this album, 72 Seasons, I describe personally, I mean, I understand this is kind of a matter of taste, but from where I'm coming from, I think it's musically awesome. 
I don't think there's a weak track on it. I like the whole album. I've listened to it dozens of times. Now, lyrically, it's not Dylan-esque poetry. Let's just be honest here. It's not, James Hetfield is not going to get a Nobel for literature. Uh, so it's not like Dylan. Although, although, surprisingly, I read not long ago that Bob Dylan has, has gone to two Metallica shows. Talk about a surreal experience. Being in a Metallica show and you're seated next to Bob Dylan, that would just be so weird. Find that interesting. Um, no, the, the lyrics are not, you know, high-level poetry by any means. They're simple, but they are surprisingly, surprisingly hopeful and positive. And as I was looking at, the, you know, on Spotify, on the tracks, there were none of those little E's by him. You know those E's? You know, explicit language. None of that. How about that? <laughs> um, you know, these, the point is, these are not the same people that released Kill Em All 40 years ago. How many of you know people can change and grow, go through stuff and develop over time? Well, they have that. Sorry. And they, they've really actually been pretty open and honest about addiction issues and, and learning how to handle their anger and, and just becoming mature and finding peace. And so... As I listen to this album that is reflective on the first 18 years of at least someone's life, um, I see that they've grown, they've changed, and even found some light. And so the track I've chosen from this album is Lux Eterna. This is Latin for light eternal or eternal light. Lux Eterna. Now, Lux Eterna is... <laughs> Of all things, Lux Eterna is the communion antiphon in the Catholic funeral mass in which at one point the singers, this is at a funeral mass, are singing, may Lux Eternal or may light eternal shine upon them, O Lord. You're praying for the departed. May, may the light eternal shine upon them, O Lord. Now, it's not that one that's going to be our song today. <laughs> this is not a Catholic requiem. This is Metallica. Uh, I like the song. I like it a lot. Um, the video I'm going to show you, and you onlineers, you know how it works. Can't stream it. WLC.com slash music videos. We posted it there. It'll be in the comments if you're live with us in this moment. Um, the video, it's a live performance from the Jimmy Kimmel Show back in April, just as the album was coming out. and what, In fact, the album was not quite out yet. It was coming out in a few days. But they performed one of the songs from that. And so uh, j just, just buckle up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. If heavy metal is not your thing, and I get it, I get it if it's not. I understand. My apologies. But, you know, this is my, this is my shot. I'm, gonna, I'm going for it. Um, it's only three and a half minutes long, so you can bear it. <laughs> All right, here it is. Metallica, Lux Eterna.
Oh, baby. Woo, my goodness. Check with your neighbor, make sure they're all right. All right, everybody all right? Whoo. All right, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, next week, we're, we're bringing it down, okay? So if, so if you made it through today, you're going to make it. So how did, how in the world did Metallica end up in finding God in the music? Well, because I, I don't want everything to be a brooding singer-songwriter sort of thing. Sometimes we just want to rock. But when I heard these lines on the new album, I, I had all I needed. Again, it's not Shakespeare, but there's hope. Commiseration, sonic salvation, cast out the demons that strangle your life. Full speed or nothing, Lux Eterna. Emancipation, kill isolation, Never alive more than right here tonight. Full speed or nothing. Full speed or nothing. Luxie Turner, Luxie Turner. Light it. Luxie Turner. Eternal light. The Lord will be your eternal light. Or the Lord will be your Luxie Turner. Now, when we speak of Luxie Turner, eternal light. We are using theological language. This, this is actually theological language. Again, does Metallica know this? I don't know. You can ask him. Next time you meet James Hetfield, just say, you know, my pastor just did a sermon with your Lux Eternal. Do you guys know what that comes from? By eternal light, we mean not long-lasting, but eternal. We, what, by eternal light, by Lux Eternal, we mean in the world of theology, we mean the light that existed before God said, let there be light. We're, 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 not, we're talking about the light that existed before God said, let there be light. Orthodox theologians speak of the uncreated light of Tabor. This is uncreated light. This is not created light. This is uncreated light. And Tabor, that's what, Tabor is the traditional site of the transfiguration. So it's a reference to the transfiguration. So in Orthodox theology, they speak of the uncreated light of Tabor, meaning that when Jesus Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and a light brighter than the sun is emanating from him, that this is the eternal uncreated life that existed before God ever said, let there be light and shining through the flesh of Christ. In the, in, in the incarnation, Jesus brings the light, the life, the truth of God into a world of darkness. Upon those who sat in the land and shadow of darkness, a light has shined. This is the Lux Eterna. This is the eternal light. The Apostle John, he is the Apostle of Light. Have you ever noticed, you ever noticed that about John? How in the Gospel of John, those three little epistles of John, light, 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 light. He's always talking about light. For example, 1 John 1, 5, God is light 
And in him, there is no darkness at all. And John connects, and this is in all of John's works, his gospel, his epistles. John connects light and love. They're, they're connected. Light and love go together. Whoever loves lives in the light. So God is light and God is love. These, these, are, these are the pinnacles of divine revelation coming to us from the apostle John. That God is light and God is love. Before there was light. Before there was the light of the sun 4.6 billion years ago. Before there was the light of the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago, there was the Lux Eterna, the eternal light of divine love shining within the Trinity. I'm saying, you know, the Trinity doesn't have a beginning. The sun doesn't have a beginning. The spirit doesn't have a beginning eternally. The, the, the Son and the Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father. In this communion of divine love, and that love is light, and it exists. It's uncreated. It is God. It exists before God said, let there be light. God is the light of love, and in him there is no darkness. There is no contradiction. There is the, here, here's the good news. There is no dark side of God. Oh. There is no dark side of God. It isn't the God is light, and, but he's got his dark side. And there is no dark side. He's not a Janus God. You know, Janus-faced, two-faced. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. There is no dark side to God. So don't ever make the theological mistake of suggesting that the holiness of God is some kind of counterbalance to the love of God. And you know, sometimes you know you really be preaching the love of God and someone will come along and say, yeah, but he's holy too. I know this, but this is, this is not a correction. It's not a counterbalance. It isn't like the other side of God. It isn't the dark side. Well, God is love, but you know, Watch out, because bam, he's also holy. Now, the truth is, of course, that all that is comes from ultimately the love of God. It can be distorted, but it comes from the love of God. It creates a grain to the universe. We go with the grain of love. It tends toward well-being. We go against it. We suffer the shards of self-inflicted pain. There are consequences, but that is not revealing some sort of dark side of God. Rather, it's just revealing that if you want life to go well, go with love. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It tends toward well-being. But don't ever suggest that the holiness of God is some sort of counterbalance to the love of God. No, God's holiness is simply the absolute otherness. The absolute otherness. That's what holiness really means. The absolute otherness of God's eternal, unconditional, divine love. Consider the theopoetics in the opening of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, the logos. This is, this is the eternal beginning the, the, that begins eternal. It's, 
it's, it's not, there's nothing before this. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the, the wisdom of God, the plan of God, the reason of God, the understanding of God. I think of it as God's own understanding of God's self. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him and apart from him, nothing was made that was made and in him was life and the life was the what? The light and him was the life, life and love and light in him was Life and the life was the light of all people and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And the word, the logos, became flesh. That's Christmas. That's incarnation. That's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And the word, the logos became flesh, became one of us, joined us. The word became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us. And we have seen, we beheld his glory, his light, his beauty as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. And of his fullness, we've received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten son who is near the father's heart, he has made him known. Now I can speak theologically about Lux Eterna. Really, I can. I mean, I, could, I can pull out Sergius Bogolkov's Unfading Light, a thick tome of Orthodox theology on this subject, and I could find underlying passages and read them to you and bore you to tears. It's good stuff, but it would mostly bore you. But I can also speak about Lux Eterna experientially. I had an encounter with the Lux Eterna 49 years ago. I read a book this week, finished a book this week, uh, Encountering Mystery by Princeton New Testament professor Dale C. Allison. And it's just a study really of, of well, I think the subtitle is something like Religious Experience in a Secular Age. And it's just really a study of people's mystical religious experience that we've sort of in a secular age wanted to just dismiss and say that doesn't mean anything or, or it can't even possibly be real. And all of that's, of course, ridiculous. I mean, I've had my own experience 49 years ago. It's, it's the defining moment in my life. Now, I've told this story many times in the past, and I will tell it many more times in the future because it is the essential story that makes sense of my life. This story is what makes sense of my life. That's how big a story it is. 
And it comes in two parts. I'm going to skip over the first part and go to the second part. Um, it, it occurred November 9th, 1974. I was 15 and a half years old. Sophomore at Savannah High School. It was a Saturday evening and somehow, I don't know, it was like an accident or something. Somehow, I got convinced to go to this event that was being put on at the Missouri Western State University uh, by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I ended up in a car of people that were going there, put it that way. And uh, when I walked in to the Missouri Western Gymnasium on November 9th, 1974, I walked into the path of a lightning bolt. Jesus was there to lay claim to my life. And I said, yes. That's the first part of the story. I'm just going over very quickly. When I got home right about midnight from that experience, I was struck by lightning a second time. People say lightning doesn't strike twice. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I got home. It was just right at midnight, so it's November 9th going into November 10th. It's midnight. I have, a, I have a bedroom in the basement, and I have made it my rock and roll sanctuary. So, you know, you have to imagine, uh, oh, a teenage basement bedroom in the 1970s. There are black light posters. Do they even have black light posters? I don't know. But the, we did then. There's black light posters in there. Some of you use the black light. Google it. Not now. Later. Black light posters and, and posters of rock bands, Led Zeppelin and the like on the, on the walls. There's little incense burners. And there is my prized possession, my Zenith Allegro stereo. This is why I'm in the basement, folks. So I've had this encounter where Jesus has come to me and laid claim to my life. And then I said, yes. And I'm still in a daze. The carload of people I was in went to McDonald's. But I just sat by myself and didn't say anything because I was in a daze. They dropped me off at home. I walk into my bedroom. I take about three steps into the room. And I'm not anticipating any of this. I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't even know how to make this up. The room was filled with an unearthly light. Not like the light that would come from a, one of these lights, an incandescent or whatever these are. These, these kind of lights cast shadows. It was like, and you know, I'm straining at language. It was like it, the room was filled with liquid light. By that I mean... Imagine filling a room up with water and, and the water would fill every crevice. It would fill everything, you know. There would be no corner untouched. It was like that, except it wasn't liquid. It was light. And it filled that room. It wasn't harsh. It wasn't glaring, but it was light. It was light. So you can tell I'm straining from my light. It was light. And I knew the light was the presence of Jesus. How do I know this? I don't know. I don't know how I know it. I just know it. I just, there's just like this knowledge. 
This is the presence of Jesus. And I dropped to my knees and I lifted my hands and I worshiped the one who I knew was there as light. I'd never done anything like this. Yes, we went to church. I was raised in church. I did not hate church. I did not love church. It was just, I was ambivalent about it. I was never given a choice, so I never (laughs) had considered an alternative. The idea of not going to church, (laughs) that that did not occur in our our household. And so I I went, but everything about it was peripheral to my life. It was there. I had some basic knowledge, but it was there on the periphery. But now things are changing, and I'm in this bedroom, and it's being baptized in light, and I'm in the middle of the light, and I know the light is Jesus, and I'm on my knees, and I'm worshiping, and everything about my life changed. It was dramatic. And where I am at today, 49 years later, 49 years later, it all comes from that moment, all of it. It comes from that moment. It's, it's like, you know, you can, you can detect the leftover radiation from the Big Bang on an analog television as just that static. I'm still buzzing from that experience 49 years ago. It amazes me that Jesus was willing to go into the rock and roll bedroom of a teenager at 104 South Hickory in Savannah, Missouri. He shows up. The kid likes rock and roll, I can tell that. I can work with it. I was always gonna do a sermon series like this at some point, it was inevitable. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You know what? I believe that. I I totally believe that. I believe Jesus is the light of the world, and I also know for sure that Jesus is the light of my world. It's in the light of Christ that, for me, life has any meaning. Jesus Christ is the eternal Light, the Lux Eterna, that gives us light of the revelation of who God is. And this is the answer to the big question. Why are we here? Why are we here? Because God said, let there be. And in that let there be was included you and me. And this can remain a mystery to us until we encounter the light. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son who is near the Father's heart. He has made him known. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light that enlightens all of us in Jesus Christ is coming into the world. So... Would you, would you like to encounter the light? I mean, do you, want, do you want Jesus Christ to shine upon you? Is what I'm saying. Well, here's what you do. This is what the Apostle Paul says in, what is it, Ephesians 5.14. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. 
rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. Wake up to to the miracle that you are a part of. You're you're a part of a miracle. I mean, it's the phenomenon of being. We're here, aren't we? It's happening. Wake up to it. Don't... Wake up, rise from the dead, rise up from from the dead end of just going through life and never paying attention to God, trying to keep God at the periphery, ignoring God. See, what happened November 9th and then midnight going to November 10th in my life, it was was unexpected. I, I did not see it coming. And yet... And yet, as I, as I recollect, there were antecedents. Three months earlier, and you have to just think of me. I'm just, I'm not Pastor Brian. I'm just a 15-year-old long-haired kid. Like sports and I like rock and roll. And one of my, one of my responsibilities. I I got paid a little bit of money. On Saturdays, I would clean my father's law office, take out the trash, do some things, various things. And then I would uh, dust off the law library. You know, lawyers have law libraries and he has a law library and, and they're, you know, floor to ceiling, lots of books, law books. And you get the feather duster and you dust them all off. It's a Saturday. There's no one in the law office. It's just me. I'm by myself. It's a Saturday in August, 1974. I'm in, I'm, on the, I'm in this, you know, when you're dusting books, it's not, it's not highly intellectually challenging. It's, and your, your mind is free to go where it will. And I don't know, I just, I'm dusting these books and I started thinking, well, here I am, here's my life. I exist, I, I, I exist. And I, I, I've never been, it's never been possible for me to be an atheist. That just seems outlandish to me. It just, it just seems, I won't be polite, but it just seems, it seems a little bit idiotic. But, um, so I, I, I know there is a, a ultimate source of my own being. We'll call this being God or this ultimate source God. I'm the being and there's a source called God. So I, I believe there's God, but I don't. I've never met God. And I'm offended by this. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem right. I'm here for come what will, come what may, joy and pain and all that life brings. I guess I go to church. I, I, know this, I know the gospel story. I can tell it to you. I know what it is. But that doesn't mean I've met God. And this seems profoundly unfair. I want to meet God. And so I'm just, I'm not, I would not have thought of myself as praying. I wouldn't have thought of this as a religious moment. I just was thinking, God, I want to meet you. I said it out. God, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. But then something happened. I began to be a little more emotional about it, more angry than pious. God, how come I've never met you? You're responsible for me being here. I want to meet you. And then I actually started crying. And, uh, if someone had walked into that room, they would probably think that Brian Zahn was having a mental episode, verging on some sort of mental illness. Actually, I think I was verging on some sort of mental health. I'm like in Moby Dick, I'm Cabin Boy Pip, 
who saw God's foot upon the treadle of the loom and dared to speak in his shipmates thought him mad for God's sanity is man's insanity. That's a paraphrase of that passage. And I was, I was just, what I was doing was I was waking up from sleep. I was attempting to rise from the dead end of going through life, ignoring God. And I'm saying, God, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. I'm serious. I want to meet you. I might have cussed. I don't know. Dang it, God. I might say something else. I want to meet you. And so God put it on his calendar. November 9th, meet BZ. The initial invitation, Jesus claiming my life. I say, yes, I get home. It would be decades later before I could use language like this. The uncreated light of Tabor. Or the Lux Eterna. Or the eternal light came into my bedroom and changed everything. That's my story. Amen. Stand up with me. As you learn to live and love, you will abide in the Lux Eterna, the eternal light. Lord Jesus, shine your light upon us. Lord, I've told my story because it's my story. For these people, it won't be their story. Theirs will be different. But Lord Jesus, we, we wake up right now. We wake up. We're not sleepers. We're waking up. And we're, we're attempting now to get to our feet and rise from just the dead end of ignoring you. Now, Christ, shine upon us. In this coming week, bring your light into the lives of these people, I pray. Amen and amen. Let's come to the table of the Lord. And let's begin now by first confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy.
In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.